Hey, this is Evan Black, pastor of Faith for Life Church, and this is our podcast. Thanks for joining us today. If you don't yet know Jesus, I'm so glad that you're listening, and I pray that this message empowers you to give your life to Christ. If you're just starting out on your journey with Jesus, I hope this empowers you to connect with Him. If you're strong in your connection to Christ, I believe this message will empower you to follow Him. So enjoy today's message. Well, turn to me in your Bible to Luke chapter 16. We're continuing this series that we started a couple weeks ago called What's After ATX? What's After ATX? This is um, a series that's really based in large part uh, through this book here called Imagine Heaven, written by uh, actually a local pastor named John Burke. And if you missed the first couple weeks, um, those are available on uh, our podcast. It would be the best place for you to go and listen to it. But this book, John Burke, he took over a 1,000 people and interviewed them, um, people that experienced what you call NDEs, near-death experiences. And these are not, um, you almost, died. These are you died and then you came back to life. And so phenomenal, phenomenal book. If you've never read it, I would highly encourage you to get this book and read this book because it just brings to life and articulates so much of uh, what the Bible says about heaven. Um, and, and it's just, it is absolutely phenomenal. For me, it's given me a whole new perspective on um, heaven and also on hell, essentially what's after this life. Now, We've talked last couple weeks about, you know, uh, we are going to leave our bodies, our natural tent, and God has prepared for us an eternal, perfect dwelling, a new body, if you will, that we'll spend eternity in. Last week, we talked about how in this new body, in this new place, the, our bodies will not only be perfected, but the location is perfected. Heaven is absolutely amazing. Um, but the highlight of heaven is Jesus, that we will be with him for all eternity. And if that's not a highlight for you, then, then you, you have some misconceptions about who Jesus is. <laughs> um, and the more you get to know him, the more that will become the highlight. This, this morning, we're gonna go a different direction. I was like, Lord, do we really have to go this way like the Sunday after Thanksgiving? Like, I, I, like we got the Christmas stuff up and it's the Sunday after Thanksgiving and man, we've just been so thankful. And, and this morning, we're gonna go a little different direction with this. And, and this is something that even believers, like we, we don't wanna talk about very often. You know, we talked about this a little bit last week. People don't really think and talk that much about the afterlife, about heaven or hell. Um, but, you know, whatever people talk about, especially Christians with heaven, they talk about hell much, much less, <laughs> right? You know, the only time that I've ever really heard Christians talk much about hell is if you go to a church <laughs> and the church or the pastor is that hell, fire, and brimstone type. You know, that was one of my first experiences at church after I got saved. I went to actually my, my, my granny's church in this small town in Georgia, and, um, and, and it, was, it was so awesome. It was probably 12 people there. Right, and so me, and I don't know who was with me, but, but we clearly, like, we were the visitors. And so we were sitting on this side, and so it was a small church, and he, and he talked about hell for like 90 minutes. I mean, you know, was it 90 minutes in hell? Like it was 90 minutes of, of talking about hell. And he, I mean, he might as well have just been looking, I mean, he wasn't talking to anybody else there. Like if you don't get your life right with Jesus, you're going to hell. I mean, hell, hell was the key word for the day. <laughs> and, and I've heard people talk about, you know, hellfire and brimstone preachers and, and, and like it, it kind of gets a bad rap maybe because the way it was presented is, is deserved, but not talking about hell at all is also not the answer. 
Not talking about hell at all is one of the most selfish, unloving things that we can do. Much of what we know about hell comes from Jesus and what Jesus taught us. So this morning, the, thanks, the Sunday after Thanksgiving, when we've all been happy and we're all thankful, we're going to talk this morning about hell. What about hell? Because it, even in this book, and we're going to read here, um, not all of these experiences where people come out of their natural tent, because remember, we're, we're not a body. We come out of our natural tent and we experience what's after ATX, what's after this life. All of the experiences in here and all the what we read in the scripture are not experiences of heaven. There is a hell and it is real. And let's see what, a little bit about what Jesus says about this. Luke chapter 16, verse 19, this is Jesus uh, speaking here. He says, there was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. Now, now, now this, this is kind of redundant here. There's a rich man. And, and the way that this man was clothed in purple represented royalty and fine linen and the, uh, the ability to be able to eat well every day are just um, adjectives that are reiterating the fact that this man is rich. This man is living the good life. We probably wouldn't say it this way now. We'd say like, you know, he wears all the nicest name brand clothes. He drives the nicest cars. He's got, you know, maybe not just cars. Maybe he has jets or planes or, you know, he doesn't just have a nice house. Like he has a man like he's got one here and one there and one over there. And, and, and like he's living his best life. Like he's, he lacks for nothing. He is, he is a man who um, does whatever he wants and enjoys life to the fullest. And at, the, and at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus covered with sores. So here you have this contrast. You have this rich man who was naturally successful, who lacked for nothing, who lived his best life. And now we're told there's, a, there's at his gate, there's a poor man who was naturally unsuccessful, who lacked really, we're gonna read in a minute, for really everything. He, he didn't have any of the natural earthly uh, comforts or pleasures of this world. And we have this contrast of these Two men. He not only um, lacked financially, but he was covered with sores. So he not only lived a life of poverty, but he lived a life of pain as well. This isn't just, uh, you know, I don't have very much. You know, many people, you know, you grow up in lack, but, but because the home had love and, and maybe some other good things, you don't even realize that you grew up in lack until you get to a certain point and you realize like, oh man, everybody didn't struggle for this and everybody was able to do that. This is not that guy. This is a guy who, who grew up in poverty, who lives in poverty, but also lives in pain. Like he knows that he's not experiencing the best that this natural world has to offer. He's not even experiencing the comforts of this world. He, he was not only uh, laid at the gate and covered with sores, but he desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. I mean, you could not have a larger contrast here that Jesus is, is speaking about with this man who lacked for nothing and this man who lacked everything. And the poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. Now, we don't have 
time to get into Abraham's side or Abraham's bosom. Just, just remember Jesus is talking to a group of people um, that, that are living in a time in which Jesus hasn't yet uh, died and rose again. So, so to be absent from the body, to be present with the Lord is a little different in this dispensation, in this time period. And, and so here they're going to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. So here Jesus tells us this contrast of these two people and, and ultimately he gets really quickly to the point of they both died. Spoiler alert. <laughs> We're all either gonna die or be raptured. Like we talked about it in week one. We have this natural tent. We are all coming up out of this natural tent at some point. You can try to deny it. You can try to not talk about heaven and not talk about hell and not talk about what's after this life and what's after ATX, and that's fine, but, but it's not going to stop the fact that it is going to happen. Either you're, you're, who you are is going to come out of this natural tent in what we call death, or Jesus is going to return and part the clouds and part the sky, and you're gonna be caught up out of that natural body. But either way, you're not staying here. We all, it is appointed for all of us to die, both the rich and the poor. Here, they both died. And in verse 23, it says, and in Hades, and, and Hades is just, um, uh, it's another word essentially for hell. And in hell, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. So here, the poor man is carried away by angels to Abraham's side, eventually he will go into what we looked at last week, which we call heaven, and the rich man goes into hell to be tormented. Now, because we are a spirit living in a body, we will all live eternally. So when we come out of our natural tent, when we come out of this body, in whatever way that we come out, it is not the end of us. We all live eternally, every single one of us, whether we're the rich man in this story or whether we're the poor man in this story. Every one of us live eternally. Jesus talked about this uh, multiple times. In Matthew chapter 25, verse uh, 46, he says, these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. In John chapter five, verse 28 and 29, he says, do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. The question is not whether or not we will eventually die or come out of this body. The question is, where will we spend eternity? Because we will spend eternity somewhere. E eternity is absolutely in every single one of our future. It's just a matter of where will we be for eternity. This rich man dies and he goes to Hades. He goes to hell. Now, let me say this. He doesn't go to hell because he was rich. Jesus is telling a story here. He's telling a parable. He, he's, he's laying out for them a point and the point is not if you're rich, you go to hell. If you enjoy the things of this earth, the things that this world has to offer, then you are doomed to hell. That, that's not what Jesus is saying. That's not the point at all. He's using this as an example, um, and, and, and the point is not that at all. But this rich man is the one who goes to hell. Part of the point of what Jesus is telling us here is, it, not that if you enjoy it, you'll go to hell, but whether you have it or not, 
is not an indication of where you'll spend eternity. Meaning it's not the rich people go to heaven and the poor people go to hell. And honestly, it's not vice versa either. What you enjoy, what you accumulate, what you experience here on the earth as far as materialism and comfort are not indications of where you'll spend your eternity. There are people that you will encounter and they may never have a bad day in their life. They may always have a smile on their face and they may always feel like they're in peace and have joy and all of that and they may spend their eternity in hell. And there may be people that you come across and they're never happy. <laughs> they're always upset and they always have an attitude and they're always you know, hurting or in pain and they may spend their eternity in heaven. So what we accumulate, what we experience here, part of the point of Jesus telling the story is that those are not indications of where we'll spend our eternity. And that's important for us because many times we look and we judge people here on the earth based on what they have and how they act and who we think that they are to determine where we think they're going. And in actuality, that's not our judgment to make. That's not our decision to be had. But when we think about hell, and when we begin to, as we begin imagining heaven, we also, it would be beneficial for us as believers to also imagine hell. When we begin to imagine hell, we have to start with the fact that God didn't want any of us there, and he still doesn't want any of us there. In Matthew chapter 18, verse 14, Jesus said, it is not the will of my Father who is in heaven that any one of these little ones should perish. He doesn't want any of us there. He doesn't want me there. He doesn't want you there. He doesn't want your coworkers there. He doesn't want your family members there. He doesn't want your enemies there. God doesn't want any of us there. He's telling us a story here, but he's not happy having to say that this rich man went to Hades. That, that doesn't bring God pleasure to punish the wicked here on the earth. He doesn't want any of us there. The other thing, as we begin to imagine what hell would be like, is we have to understand that hell is not made for us. Hell was never made for humans. It was created for Satan and his demons. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 25, verse 41. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. It was never made for us. So when we begin to imagine this eternity called hell, we have to realize, first of all, God doesn't want us there. Secondarily, it was not made for us. It was not made for humans. It wasn't made for even those who make bad choices here on the earth. It wasn't even made for the worst of us on earth. It was made for Satan and his demons, when God had to <laughs> kick Satan out and the, and the demons that followed him went with him, God created hell to be that place that they spend eternity. Because of, and we get into some theology here and we don't have time, but, but because of the course of events going all the way back to Genesis with Adam and Eve and bringing sin into the world, it became a place where Satan and his demons were able to corral and, and, and force people into this eternity with them, but it was never created for human beings. And if it was never created for human beings, then that begins to show us a little more about the grace and the goodness of God. 
It also begins to tell us that this place is far more powerful <laughs> than we would need for it to be. <laughs> this is like killing a gnat with a sledgehammer, right? Because if it were created to punish humans, then maybe there'd be some grace in there. But even without grace, it would only require so much to kill us because we are human. But in order to eternally punish Satan and his demons, it goes to a whole different level, a whole different level of power, a whole different level of, of torture, if you will, because of what it was created for. When we continue in verse 24, Jesus continues on. He says, and he called out, um, him being this rich man who, who was in hell tormented. He called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I am in anguish in this flame. Now think about this, imagine this. He's in such anguish He's not asking for a cup of water. He's not asking for, you know, a gallon of water. He's saying if Lazarus can just get a little bit of water on the tip of his finger and put it on my tongue, God, that would help me so much. I mean, could you imagine the torture and the anguish that you would have to be experiencing to say, I just want a drop. If I could just get a drop of cold water. I mean, it's hard for our minds to even wrap around this, this level of, of pain and this level of anguish and, and, and to, 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 to have this rich man who had lacked for nothing. Now he's not asking for an abundance. He's just asking for a drop of cool water. Like, what could a drop of cool water do? But apparently he was in so much anguish that he was begging for just a drop. We have to understand some things about hell. Hell is an eternal, irreversible conscience torment by fire. It is an eternal, irreversible Conscience torment by fire. Let me, let me explain this. In Matthew chapter 13, um, Jesus, uh, he, he's talking about the end of the age and the angels will come and they'll separate the evil from the righteous and the evil, he says, will be thrown into a fiery furnace and in that place there will be weeping, and you've heard this before, but gnashing of teeth. Now again, how much pain do you have to be in to be gnashing your teeth to the point where it can be heard. And this isn't, unfortunately, this isn't like a, a place that's not crowded, like this is a crowded place. I mean, the wailing, the anguish, the pain, the weeping, and the gnashing of teeth. Jesus says this in Mark chapter nine, in verse 48, um, again, he's talking, about, he's talking about heaven and hell, and he's, he's actually saying like, hey, if any of your members, if your eyes, if your hands, if they cause you to sin, then cut them out. Do whatever you have to do, because it is better to live eternally without your hand or without your eye than to allow your hand or your eye to send you to hell. And he says this about hell in Mark, Mark chapter nine, verse 48, where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Well, what does that mean? That means that as people are experiencing 
this fiery furnace, this eternal flame that again, wasn't meant for humans. And while they are burning, while they are in such pain that they're, they're, they're weeping and wailing and they're gnashing their teeth, that the worm doesn't die, meaning they're not consumed by it. Meaning there is no relief, there is no end. Have you, have you ever gotten in the shower and it was too hot? <laughs> like I, I love a hot shower, so there's, like I'd way rather it be too hot than too cold. <laughs> like, but have you ever gotten in the shower and it was too hot? If you weren't able to like, or you just chose not to make it cooler or not to make it too cooler, then, then y'all know what happens, right? Like you get in and it's hot, and then after a certain amount of time, your body adjusts and that same level of heat doesn't feel the same on your body. And so it, it just becomes warm. And I, I've even been in the shower where I had it so hot that eventually I start sweating. Now I know that's like counterproductive, right? Like to be so like sweating in the shower, like you're supposed to be getting clean. But anyway, <laughs> but, but, but like, you know, your body will adjust if you, um, it's the same. Uh, Josh was just telling me he, he went to Michigan this past week and he was like, man, it was cold and it was rainy and snowy, and, but eventually you your body adjusts and what was initially super cold or super hot, your body will adjust and, and it'll get used to it at least at a certain level, certain degree, right? That doesn't happen in hell. The worm doesn't die. Your senses, they don't adapt. They're actually heightened and they're eternal. So you feel it and you never get used to it. I know this isn't fun. I know this isn't happy. I know, like I pray that we just got all our thanksgiving out and we can hold on to those, those things that we were thankful for. But, but if we don't look at the fullness of this, if we don't look at the totality of the truth, then we're missing out. The worm doesn't die. There's not an end to this. There's not a, an adaption to this. We, we continue to feel it. The fire is never quenched. Let me give you one more in Revelation chapter 14, verse 11. It says, and the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night. There is no rest. There is no relief. The fire is felt, and it's never finished. There is no rest from the pain for eternity. There are no second chances. It's permanent. Verse 25, Jesus says, but Abraham said, child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things and Lazarus in like manner bad things. But now he is comforted here and you are in anguish. Life is short. Eternity is long. We have one life to be able to make the right decisions to place our trust and our faith in Jesus Christ. We have one life. We have many chances in that one life, but make no mistake about it. We have one life that will determine where we spend all of eternity. There are no second chances. It is permanent. <laughs> you may enjoy the good things here, Someone else may, in like manner, the bad things. But this, this is 
nothing compared to eternity. This, we have to be able to imagine this and put some more of our focus and faith in, in what God says about what's after Austin, what's after ATX, what's after this life. Because as long as we don't, then what we try to be is we try to be the rich man. And not that we should ever try to be the poor man, but we're not ever willing to be the poor man. Let me say it another way. We're trying to accumulate. We're trying to get these things. We're trying to get this peace. We're trying to get this comfort. We're striving after things that will not last for eternity. And we're never willing to give up and to go without in any way, shape, or form because our focus is on 60, 80, 120 years here on the earth. And it's not on eternity. Because if our focus would get on eternity, if our focus would be for uh, all of eternity and not just what happens here, we would realize that life is short and eternity is long, that we have one chance here to determine our future. I believe we would live differently. I believe there would be times where we would say, I don't really have enough to give you, but I'm willing to give you my last. I, I think there would be times where we say, I don't really want to do that, but I'm willing to do that for you. I, I believe that love would conjure up in our heart at such a level, to such a degree, that we would be more willing to be selfless, that we would love people enough to put ourselves out there, not knowing all the answers, to be able to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with other people so that they wouldn't have to experience a hell where they're begging for a drop of water to just touch their tongue. That we would have a love even for our enemies because we would recognize that even if you're my enemy all the days of my life, that pales in comparison to eternity. And am I so cold hearted that I would be okay with you spending eternity in hell just because I don't like you here on earth? I believe we would live our lives differently if we would imagine Biblically imagine, not just heaven, but biblically imagine hell. Let me, let me finish what Jesus says here in verse 26. He says, besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able and none may cross from there to us. There is no going back and forth between heaven and hell. Like <laughs> These are permanent locations and permanent places. So you can't just go back and forth. Like you can't, unfortunately, if you don't share the gospel with somebody and they end up going to hell, which again, that, that would not be your fault, by the way, because it's just our job to sow the seed. It's God's job uh, to bring the harvest. Let me say it another way. It's our job to tell them about Jesus, to live it out in front of them. It's not our job to save them. You start taking on the pressure of getting someone saved, that's not your pressure. That's not your weight. You can't carry that weight. You don't have a heaven or hell to put them in. You don't have the power to save them. What we have is the words, the actions, the, the, the prayers, the faith to, to, to share with them, but it's God's job to save them. What happens to the time in this service? <laughs> And he said in verse 27, then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. He's saying, send Lazarus back. Put him in the book. <laughs> you know, give him, give him this supernatural example. If you, if you do that for them, surely they'll believe. Surely if they've seen a sign, if they see a miracle, if they see somebody that they know was dead or they know was poor, if they see somebody that they know lacked, now not lacking, like if they see it, they'll believe it. 
This is how so many of us think. <laughs> but Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets. In other words, they have, they have what Moses and the prophets wrote. Today we would say, we have the Bible. So do you have to, do you have to meet and interview one of the people who hasn't been to hell or been to heaven and come back? Do you have to see one of these miracles that, that let's be honest, religious folks often want? He says, they have the Bible. Not our Bible now, the, the Bible they had at that time. The Old Testament, the, the Pentateuch, they have the writings of Moses and the prophets. And he said, no, Father, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. Like, God, I, I don't want to leave this up to chance. These are my brothers. I don't want my brothers to experience what I'm now experiencing. So, God, give them something extra. And he said to them, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. So it's not our job to make sure that they see the miraculous. It's not our job to make sure that there's some supernatural thing that we're trying to get God and force God to do to reveal to our family, our friends, our loved ones, our coworkers, the people that we meet at HEB and wherever we go. It is to give them God's word. It is to give them the gospel and let God work that out. Listen, I'm out of time, but, but much of what we know about hell in the scriptures comes from Jesus. I mean, Jesus, Jesus through the gospels, uh, talked about hell more, uh, more than even what we read in Revelation. Like, like much of what we know about hell comes from Jesus. And there's many things that Jesus continually talks about. I mean, torment, anguish, eternal punishment, um, all of these things. But... The, the theme and the point that Jesus taught about hell that's emphasized the most and is repeatedly emphasized is that hell is not inevitable. <laughs> hell, hell is not God's heart. There is a way of escape. When Jesus talks about hell, he, he talks about it to, to not to scare, but to let you know that you don't have to go there. To let you know that there is a way, and he is the way. That there is truth that, that helps you escape from that, and he is truth. <laughs> like Jesus, he, he talks about hell often, but the point is that you don't have to go there. We can imagine it, but we never have to experience it. And he tells us that in John chapter three, verse 16, it's so familiar to us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his work should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. In verse 36 of John chapter three says this, whoever believes in the son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. 
We all will live forever. The question is, are you gonna live with God in heaven or are you going to live separated from God in hell? And to make sure that you don't live in hell, it begins with giving your life to Christ. But that's not where it stops. That's where it begins. It begins with giving your life to Christ. And yes, the, the thief on the cross with Jesus, um, he didn't live a life submitted to God. Uh, he, he, didn't, he didn't go to church 472 times. Like he didn't check off the church box. He didn't serve in a church. Um, but he gave his life to Jesus. And even at the end, Jesus is able and willing to save him. But that's not our stories right now. Unless you've never, uh, you know, given your life to Christ or, or you know, you, you know, they always say like, if you were to die tonight, you know, never like if you were to die today. I don't know, you know, people die during the day. <laughs> like, unless that happens to you today, like we have an opportunity not just to give our lives to him in a moment of prayer, but to live a life submitted to him. To give this one life, this short life, so that we and so many others can have an eternity with him. Well, if you enjoyed today's podcast, there's a couple things I'd love for you to do. Make sure to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. You can also invest in helping us empower others to follow Jesus by texting any dollar amount to 512-520-0185. Thanks again for joining us today on the Faith for Life podcast.